Welcome to the sermon podcast of Northridge Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm Betsy Sweetenberg, the pastor here, and I hope that in this podcast, you see what we seek to do week after week, approaching the stories of our faith with a holy curiosity, not shutting the book because the stories are hard or there are truths we'd rather ignore. Instead, approaching scripture, trusting that God will meet us there, full of grace and truth, teaching us something new about how we are to live in this world God so loves. When I was in college, there was a family that I babysat for regularly, and one afternoon, I was with this little girl in her playroom. She was probably about four at the time, and she reached down into her pile of toys and picked up the toy cell phone, and she put it to her ear. So I saw that as my invitation to have a makeshift phone of my own, and I made a ringing noise, and she immediately said hello. And before I could respond and ask her how she was, she says, No, Ryan, that's her father's name. I haven't made dinner. I've been in meetings all day. The kids are with the babysitter, and we have soccer tonight. You'll have to figure it out yourself. I had never heard that assertiveness or confidence out of that little girl before, but clearly she learned it from somewhere. I'm assuming it was her mother. She had heard that half of the conversation enough that she could just do it on her own. And I got so careful about the things I said in her presence (laughs) after that experience. It's a humbling thing to be imitated by a child. Just one Sunday last year, in between worship services, I came in here to prepare some things for this service, and there was a child right here in this pulpit, just on tiptoes trying to make it into the mic, and I stopped because I realized this child was speaking. And when I listened, I finally heard she was imitating me. (laughs) Blah, 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 forgive each other. Blah, 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 Jesus died on the cross. Blah, 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 amen. (laughs) Have you ever been imitated by a child? Better yet, have you ever imitated someone? As we turn to scripture, let's pray. Oh God, may something of what is seen and heard of me this morning be not of me. May it be of you and your living word, your grace-filled word, your life-giving word. In your son's name, who is God with us, we pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Ephesians. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, listen to what the Spirit is saying to her church this day. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you were to create a quick pie chart of how you spend your time, what would it look like? What would make it onto a pie chart of your life? Work, maybe? 
sleep, hobbies, commuting maybe for some of you, parenting, church, travel. What categories would get a slice of the pie? Now, if someone followed you around for a while to learn how you spend your time so that they could imitate you, what would they do after spending several days with you? Would they imitate you by pretending to be in an office or by running errands and trying to get a home organized? Would they imitate you by being on the phone or working at a computer madly sending emails? Would they imitate you by reading scripture, praying? What would they do after they watched how you spend your time for several days? This is how imitation begins, right? If someone wants to imitate you, they'd have to begin by seeing how you spend your time. Which means if we are going to imitate someone, we'd need to do the same thing. We need to know how they spend their time. Be imitators of God, our scripture instructs. Now this sounds aspirational. So we could read this instruction quickly and not pay it much mind because the Bible seems to be filled with reminders that only God can be God. Imitate God? Well, we can't create the world. We can't part seas or make bread fall down from heaven. Imitate God? Well, we can't rain tongues of fire. We can't send the Spirit to the church. We certainly can't resurrect people. Imitate God? We don't have prophets and angels speaking on our behalf. Be imitators of God? Is it aspirational? I actually don't think it is an aspirational instruction. I think that is the calling of the Christian life, to imitate what we know of how God is with us and with each other and with creation. So it seems to me that if we are imitators of God, then the most helpful way to figure out what we're supposed to do is by looking at Jesus's life, looking at how Jesus spent his time. In the last couple weeks, we've talked about the most significant places of Jesus's life. We talked about Jerusalem, where he spent the last week of his life doing work for us that we could not do for ourselves. Jerusalem is marked by the cross, atonement, salvation. We talked about Galilee, where Jesus spent his years in ministry. That is where he trained up disciples. That's where he healed and preached and prayed. That's where he stirred up all kinds of trouble. And in the Gospels, that's what we get. We get stories of Jerusalem and Galilee. When the Gospels recount Jesus' life, it goes something like this. His birth, fast forward a lot of years, to his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. That's the formula if you want to write a Gospel. Share the good news that Jesus was born, and then skip ahead to what must be the, must be the most important stuff, what he did with his time. Here's the thing, though. If you slow down long enough to think about the whole picture of Jesus' life, 
Those stories from Galilee and Jerusalem really only make up a small percentage of his time. If you do rough math, the last week of Jesus' life accounts for about 1% of his time on earth. And those three years in Galilee, those ministry years, account for about 9% of his time on earth. That's it. The stories that we read over and over and over again really only give us a snapshot of about 10% of Jesus' life. Which means on the pie chart of Jesus' life, there's still 90% of time that is unaccounted for. Well, that 90% of time, that's his first 30 years. That's his time in Nazareth, his hometown. Now, I'll be honest. This is one of those things that seems very clear to me now that somebody has pointed it out to me. But I didn't spend much time thinking about Jesus' life in Nazareth. Because usually when I'm reading stories of Jesus, I'm paying attention to what is written down in the Gospels. And the Gospels just don't have much to say about Nazareth. Sure, we read that it's his hometown, and there's a short 14-scripture-verse story in the Gospel of Luke, which tells us that he returned to his synagogue in Nazareth and then got driven out. But otherwise, there's just not much to say about Nazareth. Now, I imagine that not much is written down because those days just seemed pretty vanilla. Not much was happening. They weren't laden with miraculous healings. Crowds weren't following him around. In Nazareth, he was just living with his parents. His parents were providing for him. He didn't have disciples yet. He was simply being with other people, with his parents with his neighbors, at the synagogue, with his family of faith. Maybe not much is said about Nazareth because those years just seem too bland to be recorded by the gospel writers in the grand scheme of his life. They just didn't feel like they were years of consequence. I imagine this would be no different for you and me. If I were to jot down stories of my life, I wouldn't talk about the time that I just sat around. I'd probably be more inclined to tell stories of what I did or things I was working towards. In a quick pie chart of how I spend my time, I didn't write a a slice for time that I just am with other people. I was really quick to notice how much time I spend at work or how much time I spend with my child, with my husband, all these things I do. And we're trained to pay attention to those things. The gospel writers did too. They paid attention to all that Jesus did. But if we are to be imitators of God, and if Jesus is our best clue about how to do that, considering Jesus is God in human form, then Nazareth matters a lot. 90% of his life was Jesus just being with other people. As I learned that some of our youth say, hanging up and hanging out, being fully present to the relationships around them. 
So I wonder what would happen if that's the example of Jesus' life that we took to heart. What if we considered being with other people as the highest and best use of our time? What would happen? Did you know that loneliness, according to the Surgeon General of the United States, is as deadly as smoking 15 cigarettes a day? More lethal than drinking six alcoholic drinks per day? Loneliness is far more dangerous than obesity. It's linked to strokes, heart disease, dementia, inflammation, suicide. Loneliness breaks hearts, literally. Because we were never created to be alone. Humans were not made to live in isolation from others. In our culture, whether we recognize it or not, we usually assume that mortality is the fundamental human predicament. In the words of Samuel Beckett, we give birth astride of a grave, the light gleams an instant, then it's night once more. In other words, life is short. And think about how much attention and money we spend avoiding our mortality. There are anti-aging everything products. There are hair growth supplements. There are technological advances to inhabit new lands for when Earth becomes uninhabitable. There's Botox. There are all sorts of prescription medications aimed at extending life. On average, about 25% of your lifetime medical expenses are incurred in the last year of life. 25%. All that money spent with the goal of extending life, or in other words, avoiding death. Our society exploits our dis-ease and discomfort with death. And it turns out that reminding us of our mortality is a hugely profitable business. Here's the thing, though. No matter what our society tries to peddle you, it doesn't matter what you spend, mortality can't be solved, and it can't ever be finally avoided. So what if we've gotten it all wrong? What if the greatest threat to our humanity is not death, as we've been told, what if the greatest threat to our humanity is loneliness and isolation? What does that mean for us? What if our call as people of faith and as imitators of God is to be with people? You see, as people of faith, we can rest assured that God has already transformed death. So we need not spend our time and our money toiling over that. So what if our witness in this world is not toiling over mortality as the world does? What if our greatest witness is overcoming isolation by being with others? That would be a Christian witness that looks a lot more like Nazareth and less like Galilee or Jerusalem. Now, I can understand if this sounds unappealing to you. I can understand if it feels maybe trite to you. 
because it could sound like one way to evade some of the biggest issues facing our world, issues about which Christians should have something to say, because we live in a world that is riddled with problems. Poverty persists, racism is unrelenting, climate change rages, gun violence endures, political violence is alive and well in our world. So I can understand if you hear me saying, be with other people and feel like it's a way to just avoid everything that deserves our attention. Or what if it's the thing that informs our response to the biggest issues in our world? Just earlier this week, I gathered with a group of 25 pastors from around the country, and we were hosted by a pastor in Asheville, North Carolina, and he spent a couple days just showing us about some of the interesting work happening in Asheville, introducing us to some of his colleagues. And so we left his big downtown church and walked several blocks to meet someone, one of his pastoral colleagues. And with each block that we walked, the infrastructure just got a little more rough. The shops around got more and more dilapidated. The further we walked, the more potholes were in the street. The sidewalks started cracking until they finally just became non-existent and you had to walk in the street. There were people sitting on curbs with tattered clothes and matted hair. It was only four blocks but it felt like we had been transported outside of the bubble of his church into a different world. And we arrived into a parking lot and saw a church called the Haywood Street Church, and we were introduced to the pastor there. He started by telling us about the ministries at Haywood Street. They have a lot going on in the week. They have clinics. They help people find housing. They are connected with EMTs who can respond to the overdoses in their community. They serve hot meals at least once a day. They do a lot. And yet their mission is so simple, it's summed up in four words. Relationship above all else. You see, this pastor founded this community as a way to reach out to those who are usually forgotten. He couldn't help but notice that for those on the margins, the addicts, the unhoused, the hungry, the poor, you can do a lot for them without ever looking them in the eye. You can do a lot to solve a problem without ever communicating to someone that they are nothing more than a problem to be solved. So often, even with the best intentions, our efforts to solve society's most pressing problems only fuel isolation and creates further divides between the haves and the have-nots. So he started a church intended to do the opposite. They invest in relationships at all costs. They serve meals, but really they are banquets. They put fine linens on tables and they use real dishes and they invite anyone who wants to come to sit down and have as much as they want, get thirds and fourths and fifths helpings if they want to. They invite people to sit around the table sharing in conversation as long as they want. They never hurry them out. They have different places set up on their property with chairs and picnic tables, encouraging people to simply be together, to invest in relationships together. 
to notice who's around them and stay a while. Now, the pastor we met is a public figure in the community. He's very involved in the Asheville community, and people frequently seek him out asking for his opinion on things. He has plenty to say about the drug crisis in that community and plenty to say about the lack of affordable housing and racism. But the only reason he has something to say about those issues is because he spends his day committed to the people who are affected by the issues. The church does offer services, but they never set out to be a service provider. They chose relationships, and the work presented itself. The services they provide are simply what the people who've shown up have asked for, what they've said that they need. Next week, the services might look different depending on who shows up. Because if you take time to be with other people, chances are you'll be impacted by their suffering. If you take time to learn the struggles of another person, then it's much easier to know what to do with your energy in response. But this church is very clear. Relationships fuel the work, always. How are we to be imitators of God? By being with others. Because if you get down to it, I think at the heart of the world's most pressing problems, poverty, racism, sexism, violence, whatever other giant problem that seems insurmountable, at the heart of those problems is the fact that we are isolated from one another. And we've learned to live in isolation. And at the heart of Jesus' ministry is his ability to be with others, to overcome isolation. Jesus' life is summed up by restoring relationships. He healed so that people could return to their communities and be with others once more. He died so that we could be with God. So what if we take that example seriously? What if that is our mission? We live as people who overcome isolation. What would that change in your life? Who are you isolated from? What would that change for our church? Who are we isolated from? What if that's where we begin? Not with a problem, not with a political stance, not with a desire to make a name for ourselves in this community. What if we begin with the good news that God is with us? And that means that we can be with others, even those we've been isolated from. Be imitators of God. Well, to do that, we need not look any further than Nazareth. Because the good news is that we worship a God that chooses relationships above all else. And that means that we're free to make the same choice. Thanks be to God. Amen. Go out into God's world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak, help the suffering, honor all persons, 
Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Spirit bless you and keep you this day, and always, always. Amen. <laughs>